Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. What are we going to talk about today? Well, um, this is, as we've talked about before, not an episode-by-episode episode guide to Ted Lasso. Right. We're picking themes, and we're starting with one of our favorites um, in the classroom, play. So what is it about Ted Lasso uh, that makes you think about play when, you, when you're thinking about the show? Warning. We expect that you've watched Ted Lasso, at least through season two. There will be spoilers ahead and scenes that don't make sense if you don't have some familiarity with the show. There's uh, a lot of um, wordplay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Teaching like Ted Lasso Little Theater, or T-L-T-L-L-T, presents a scene from Season 1, Episode 2. Hey, look at Isaac. He looks like a Rodin sculpture in cleats. Boots. Huh? They, they call cleats boots. I thought you said the trunk of a car was a boot. Also a boot. Hold on now. If I were to get fired from my job where I put cleats in the trunk of my car... You got the boot from putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. We're talking about teaching like Ted. Right. So uh, what is your kind of... What are some of the first things you think about... Like how this kind of play show up in a classroom. I think we should make it clear when we're saying teaching like Ted Lasso, we're not talking just about Ted Lasso. We're talking about all the characters in Ted Lasso. Right, right, right. Because there are certain things Ted Lasso does that I would not encourage teachers to do. I am glad to hear that. <laughs> so in, in season two, we, we get to meet a sports psychologist who talks about the idea that the, the culture that they've created is very accepting, very warm, everybody's happy. And I would say that some of that is also the, the playful nature of the way that people interact with one another. Right. If we're going to create a, uh, a welcoming, inviting environment into our classrooms, we too need to be willing to engage in playful discourse, right? Appropriately playful discourse, um, offer opportunities to play games, things like that. What about you? What, how do you see it playing out in, in education? Um, well, sometimes literally, like, mm -hmm. you know, that, that I want them playing and exploring in my classroom, right? So uh, whether it's a game or a manipulative, um, one of the things I do when I introduce a new manipulative is um, Chris Bengston, a very wise teacher I taught with um, elementary school for a while, um, taught me that they, you have to guarantee playtime. Mm -hmm. If you can't give it up front, uh, you tell them when they're gonna have a chance to play with those materials and you deliver on those promises. And I can't tell you how many times that play has turned into worthwhile mathematical conversations. Mm -hmm. I know you and I both also ask questions where students can get to know each other. And that by doing that, that, that may not sound like play, but, but they're, they're asked to be sort of playful in their responses. Yeah, it's uh, almost Labor Day weekend as we're filming this, and so today I'm asking, going to ask my students, hamburger, hot dog, and what are the toppings? Yeah, but, but I know that there are um, certain folks who feel like um, learning is serious business, 
and that um, play has no place as a result. And again, I think this is a place where um, the Ted Lasso series gives us a chance to examine uh, this tension, mm -hmm. right? Um, because um, there really is sort of a different set of beliefs um, in, um, I think it's episode three, Ted makes it very clear that winning and losing is not what he feels like his job is about. Right. And um, and that creates some tension in, um, uh, well, even with his best friend, Coach Beard. Coach Beard. TLTLLT presents a scene from season one, episode nine. And you know better than anyone that all of this ain't about winning to me. Because that ain't how we measure success, right? Damn it, it is. Hey, hey, who put a firecracker up your butt and lit it? You did. I'm sick of it. I understood the mission when we were in Kansas. But those were kids, and these are professionals. And winning does matter to them. And it matters to me. And that's okay. Ain't that right, May? Amen it is. It seems like in this scene, Ted is coming to understand, or at least Beard is trying to get Ted to understand, that there are goals, literally goals, <laughs> that, um, that they need to consider in order to, um, to be successful. Right. And that regardless of what Ted's trying to do um, for the players, if they lose, if they're relegated, um, that work will be for nothing. Right. Well, it, and Beard says that at one point, right? That the their validation is that it works. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, that if all the players are happy, but they're relegated, you know, the fans there's consequences for the fans. That May is a bar owner who, mm -hmm. right, who lives and dies over this right. team, right. and. Uh, um, uh, and for the players, for their careers, because it's it's their job. And so, so to our folks who think that we are suggesting in education that this is all just play, there does need to be some real intention to it, or at least some goals related to that. It's all well and good that, like you said, that we're helping to support and create, um, uh, foster um, human beings who are loving and caring and the best versions of themselves. Right. School also needs to help them to read and write and think mathematically, think, think critically, think scientifically, know history. You know, those, those, those aren't in opposition no, they're very compatible. Goals. Right, yeah. and 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 it's important to to keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. So, so what about from the other end, right? You know, what happens when we are so serious? We're not smiling till till Christmas, <laughs> and um, uh, we're we're creating an environment where people feel um, feel stilted, uncomfortable. Um, not, not being their best self. Oh, so there's a great example of that in the show, right? So there's um, uh, this player, Isaac, who's uh, been made uh, captain for the team, mm -hmm. um, and he takes it very seriously. Mm -hmm. 
maybe too seriously, mm -hmm. right? It's, it affects his on-field performance because he's constantly weighing uh, success and what it means to be a leader. And it, it, to some extent, he's not really playing the game anymore. No, yeah, he's definitely not smiling. Right. Yeah, and, and that's noticed by some of the, the football pundits that we get a chance to see. Mm -hmm. um, one is who, who is the the former player, Roy Kent, right. um, that he's a shadow. I think the, the language is he's a shadow of his former self. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so Ted recognizing this to be a problem uh, enlists Roy's help as a former captain. TLTLLT presents a scene from Season 2, Episode 5. What the F, Roy? Did you bring me around here to get my leg broke? No. I brought you here to remind you that football is an effing game that you used to play as an effing kid because it was fun, even when you were getting your effing legs broken or your effing feelings hurt. So F your feelings, F your overthinking, F all that bull****. Go back out there and have some effing fun. Certainly the message that in that case has been to be able to, you know, you can be too serious. And I guess that's the thing that, that I worry about. We've, you know, timestamp here. We've just been getting all this uh, news about how we're behind again in, in mathematics and reading. And my concern is that our efforts are, are going to be serious and are going to take over you know, play, it's going to take over recess, it's going to take over um, specials, it's going to take over those opportunities that we know. I love that um, uh, Vygotsky quote that talks about when, you know, basically uh, a child at play um, is a, a head taller, a year older, you know, mm -hmm. and so it's just so important that um, we give our kids an opportunity to play. And if if teachers are concerned about that, then just make sure that it's with a purpose. Play with a purpose. Play, play with a purpose. And um, so we're gonna take um, some time now with a couple of experts. Mm -hmm. A researcher who thinks about play and um, a teacher, uh, a uh, math coach who who's really interested in play in the classroom. And yeah. we're gonna talk to them about how, um, how they see play, um, what, uh, what, what supports are there, and what um, struggles are there to get play in the classroom. I'm very excited to hear what they have to say about it. Me too. Yeah. Good. Dr. Catherine Norton Coffey is the elementary math specialist for Muskegon Public Schools. Her academic interests include curriculum, instruction, and the use of games in teaching and learning mathematics. Full disclosure, Dave is Kathy's spouse. This discussion was recorded over Zoom. I'm very happy to uh, welcome Kathy Coffey to the uh, Teaching Like Ted Lasso podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You started elementary teaching in 1997, um, and you were just telling me how really it started with a trip to Toys R Us. Yeah, uh, I guess hired the day school started, um, an abundance of kindergartners, and um, they needed a, an extra halftime section. So I got hired and they gave me the credit card and sent me to buy 
some toys and games for the um, like for the kitchen and you know the housekeeping center and for the sand um, the sand table. Yeah, it started out with play. <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to think about um, uh, play in the classroom, mm -hmm. and so uh, where do you see or, or what's the the nature of um, why play should happen in lessons? I mean, I think it's important for all subject areas. I mean, I think about first graders, I think like at the beginning of the year, some of the read to self things they're doing, they're playing, right? They're, it's, I mean, mm. they're, they're um, emulating or simulating what, what real readers do. They might not really be reading yet, but they are still, mm. they're playing with books and they're playing with that language. Um, and then in math, I just think if I, I have the, uh, a philosophy that games are to math as books are to reading that kids just, they have to play games in order to, you know, to, well, to give them a purpose, number one, and to be able to have fun while they're learning. It has to be, you know, something, um, if you want to learn something, it should be pleasurable. So they, they, the games give them that context as well. Um, so I just think it's an essential part of, of, of learning and education in, and I think if that's K-12 or oh, actually probably K, K to 101. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, no, I think it's essential, but that, and I, and I think that um, it just sets a context where you're, they're learning and they're almost even unaware that they're learning. Right. And, they, and yet yeah, they are. Yeah. Because the engagement's there and mm -hmm. um, they, they, they try so many more things than they ever would on a worksheet or on an assignment. Right. And I don't know, Dave, Dave's, this is Dave's quote, not mine. So I'm going to kind of steal it. I think, is it Piaget who says that when children play, they, um, they try things out that are beyond what they normally could do. And, mm -hmm. and that's probably not the exact wording, but I think they do. They try that. And then they also, the play takes away that evaluative piece, right? It, Mm -hmm. It it allows them to make mistakes and try things out and develop strategies with whether it's math or reading, right? Um, so yeah, I just think it sets a um, a, a good environment for learning. Um, in your work with teachers, and um, you mentioned while we were chatting before about everyday math really comes prepare. You know, it's chock full of games. Um, do you feel like um, you've seen barriers to teachers for them being able to use the games or barriers to introducing play into the classroom? One of the things that I just really um, emphasize in the work that I do is that we have to play these the games. The games are for practice. The game in the games are for memory for memory, like to keep the the strategies and let's see, even if it's just facts, it keeps them in mind and it keeps kids coming back to them. Mm -hmm. um, but this, I think some of the barriers are that we don't think play is serious, that, that mm -hmm. that's not the teaching only is happening, the learning is only happening when a, a teacher is actually, you know, speaking and teaching. That, right. that can be one, not with every, and I think it varies. Not It's not like every teacher has this, the exact same set of barriers right different right. different people um but it organizing them is also a challenge mm. uh, you know getting them organized how am i going to do this how am i going to make the materials manageable because it always involves pieces and parts and right. um, paper and 
Um, if I want them to do this every every day or a few times a week, uh, am I going to have to print papers, or is there some way I can make this record a recording sheet that can be used over and over? So I'll, some of it is just sort of like systems thinking, like how am I going to make this work in my classroom? Um, sometimes I see this is le the less, but sometimes I see that um, games with get withheld from students as a punishment or or a reward. Right. You can only play the games, um, you know, if, if somebody decides that some teachers do a game of everyday math teaches four lessons a week. So often teachers will be on Wednesday or, or Friday um, is our game day or whatever. And you can only play games if you do all of this, all of this, this and this. And it's the kids, the kids need to play whether they've done it. Does, right. It doesn't need to be a reward. It, it is an integral part integral part of um the learning that's that ha is happening or needs to happen and so yeah. that's that can be a barrier so much of that discussion over the mathematics with the other learners right it, that's it happens mm -hmm. in the games right yeah i think you know speaking of that there's another worry that comes i've heard from administrators that well what if they're practicing it wrong what if they're playing the game wrong mm -hmm. but sometimes it's those discussions of when it, you know, they're sometimes discovering something new or creating a new game. Um, so I don't, I don't usually worry about that, but I hear that that is often a concern of, um, of administrators. Yeah. I, it's, it's natural to me on one level. Uh, but if you, if you get a chance to see the learning happening with the play, uh, I feel like it goes away. Right. Well, and we can't and we, you can't leave that learning to chance. We have to monitor what the students are doing and making, you know, checking in with them, making sure. But um, I don't know. I think that the worry is that if they play it wrong a whole bunch, then they're always going to they're never going to know the difference. But often it's that aha when they figure out that I've been playing, you've been playing this wrong, that actually the learning happens. Mm -hmm. How would you suggest a teacher might get started? Right. Maybe they have some resources already if they've got a curriculum that has them. Um, but but kind of what's the the internal thing that has to happen for a teacher to start um, engaging their learners in play? Yeah, I think that it's recognizing that that, that the play is essential, that this isn't frivolous. Um, oh, I know another uh, another barrier um, came up just as you as you were asked that question um some teacher teachers are worried about behaviors you know mm. are you know yes sometimes you do have to teach students how to take turns especially right. in the early grades um so that can be a not not trusting your students that they will be engaged and they'll, they'll do the right things can also be a barrier but you have to set up um you have to have it keep in mind that this is essential and then you have to decide how is this going to work in my classroom? How am I going to organize the games? Am I going to, you know, put parts and pieces in in baggies or uh, three ring binders? That's what I've been doing most recently. How am I going to organize them? What are the materials they're going to need? And then um, you have to teach the kids how to do it, right? Yeah. You have to teach them what you want them to do. Teach, you know, setting up what's our procedure for getting out our getting out the games what's our procedure for playing the game you know we keep the pieces on the table we i just think of one that i had with um 
when we were using snap cubes, keep your your trains to lower than your knee, no longer than or no higher than your knee, you know, because they sometimes will go, you know, they'll do as other high as things. it goes. Yeah, right, right. So we had some guy. You have to have the guidelines, um, but but not letting and when it doesn't go well, not letting that deter you. That yeah. I just need. So what 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 was it that fell apart? Is it that they forgot how to go get the materials? They um, maybe they don't know how to share their thinking with a friend. Maybe they need a, a little lesson on um, with sentence starters like tens go fish. You know, maybe they don't know how to say, John, do you have a blank? Right. And maybe the other person has never played go fish, and they need a sentence starter saying you know, no, go, go fish or whatever. So sometimes you have to give them, teach them the language. But again, keeping in mind that it's so essential that if it does fall apart, that you can't let that deter you, that, that there's some other element that we can teach the students that um, can help them play the, and access the games. Yeah. The, the importance of it makes it worth the effort to get yes. those routines going and get that culture established. Right. Yeah. And you and really, teaching them so much more too than just, I'm thinking I'm going to focus on math because that's where my head is these days, but um, you're teaching them so much more about than just math. You're teaching them social skills. You're building that, helping them take turns and building that um, prefrontal cortex in their brain. And you're just teaching them so much more. And, yeah. and that, that is also the part that makes it worth it, that I'm not just teaching content. I'm teaching something bigger. Yeah, I, I really hear that because as you were talking, I was thinking about, well, if my students don't know about taking turns, I want to, I want them to know that, you know, and if they don't know how to ask people or how to collaborate or how to set up and put away, right, that those are those are things I want them to learn also. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I want to build because I want to build capacity, like I want to build capacity in my teachers. I want to build capacity in the students that they can independently go get materials out, play the game and put them away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nice. Okay. Well, there's, there is one more question. I promise it is not evaluative. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's uh, a lot of judgment around this one, I think. Oh, <laughs> there can be. <laughs> right. But I, I, think I know what it is. asking you, I promise you um, it is not. So uh, would you rather be panda or lion? Well, I'm going to go out on the limb and say I would rather be a panda. All right. I just think that, um, and I guess for myself, I'm thinking about grown animals at this point, not not tight like lion cubs playing and tumbling in the Lion King. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because all children, that's the other thing, all mammals play to some extent, mm. right? So yeah. that's how they're learning. Um, but I think I would rather be a panda. Um, I really don't want to have to kill something to eat it. Like I just, a panda is like, they get, I mean, and maybe they do. And I don't even know about that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but in my mind, they just seem like they, um, are more peaceful and, um, just seems, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I'm signing up for the bamboo. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> sounds like sounds like a good place to be. Very good. Okay. Well, I can't thank you enough, Kathy. I really appreciate you talking with us, and um, I hope we get to talk again. I hope so too. Thanks, right. John. Thanks, Kathy. 
Yep. <laughs> Bye. Teaching like Ted Lasso is proud to welcome Dr. Amy Noel Parks, a professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University. A couple of her current projects include investigations of the role of play in mathematical learning and connections between emotional relationships and content learning in primary classrooms. This discussion was recorded over Zoom. Hi, Amy. Uh, welcome to uh, Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Um, we are extremely excited for you to be in our first episode, which is focusing on play because you quite literally wrote the book on play, <laughs> uh, Exploring Mathematics Through Play in Early Childhood Classroom. So, so welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So what have you watched Ted Lasso? I have. Um, I watched the first season all the way through and much of the second season. Because we're focusing this episode on play, we thought it would, um, we'd begin with a playful question from the show. Would you rather be a panda or a lion and why? Um, so like all of my instinct says panda because I'm a much I think more panda-like person in general, but um, really, if I had the choice, I think I'd rather be a lion. Um, you know, they're um, out there actively engaging in the world and um, I think more social creatures. Um, so it seems like more appealing as a lifestyle than um, sitting in the corner eating bamboo, although that might be a more accurate portrayal. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I I would also go with lion. Um, I don't have as, as good a reason as you. It, it's mostly from my childhood. I lo I watched um, Born Free over and over and over again when I was a kid, and so so that would be my my uh, my choice. So so um, what if you were going to try to explain to somebody what is play? What would how would you describe it? What is play? Yeah, it's funny you say that um, after the panda lion question, because um, there are researchers who study play um, across mammals. So play is not just something that human beings do. It's something that at least most mammals do. I don't know about other animals. Um, so when lions are little, um, they play fight um, and they're like learning to do this thing they will later do as adults. So like play is it's stress-free, it's not instrumental, it's done for pleasure, um, but it is also um, in like an approximation often of um, something that will be done in a more serious way at another time. What does play look like in, in classrooms then? I mean, is it that that's, I mean, is it that same thing going on or? Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, um, certainly like when little kids are engaged in pretend play, you're seeing a lot of that, like trying out of um, social roles that they'll be doing later. But it's also the same, you know, with puzzles and games, which are about problem solving that will happen later. Um, or like artistic play um, is like developing the sense of aesthetic that um, people will carry through their lives. And I think play in classrooms can sort of range from like relatively free, like probably not big physical play, but other than that, like lots of choices, lots of movement to um, what I would think of as like a playful lesson where it may not look like what we think of as play, but it's um, carrying these characteristics of play. So uh, choice, social engagement, interesting materials, um, creativity. Um, and that may show up um, in something that looks more like traditional teaching. 
So, so one of the things you talk about in um, the book and that we talked about in our first sec section is this tension between play and seriousness, right? And the education mm -hmm. is often thought about as being serious business, right? The, the, the role of learning. And, and you talk about this misconception. I think that's a great question. Um, and I think it's complicated because like play can be really serious for kids, right? Like if like as an adult, you've ever played with like a preschooler or a toddler and you know if you violate the rules of the game, like whether it is an official game or a pretend play game, like children get mad um, in a serious way because you are not playing right. Um, so I think that like seriousness is something that can come to play. Um, it's, I think in traditional schools, like, I'm not sure that seriousness is the opposite of play. I think that like, it's like disengagement and boredom is maybe closer to the opposite of play. Right. Um, and so like, when we see kids who are disengaged in school, and we see that a lot, um, often it is because there is not enough um, play in the space. Um, and I would think of that as there's not enough room for kids in the space. Like we have tried to put them into um, this, like maybe adult design space for our adult goals. Like maybe not even something that adults would enjoy, but still like something designed by adults for what we're trying to get done um, without an acknowledgement of who they are and where they are. Because if there's space for children, there will naturally be play in that space. So when you particularly think about this idea of teaching and learning math, where are there more specifics about what play looks like in 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 that setting? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so one thing I've been really excited about lately, um, so this isn't in the book because it's really just come up for me, as uh, this idea of soft starts, which I'm starting to see in a lot of classrooms across elementary schools. Um, so this is like teachers who, instead of doing like a worksheet first thing in the morning, are putting out like toys and puzzles and math materials and letting kids like play with them as soon as they come in um, as, you know, everyone is going through their morning routine. And so like, I think this is a really specific strategy that lets kids um, one play, come into the day softly, have some conversations with friends. Like it's a really pleasurable start to the day, but also as a teacher, like you get to see that like geometric thinking and exploration. Um, and then you can draw on that like later in your teaching. So I think even if you're teaching an upper L, there is this space for free play in your day, either like first thing in the morning or after recess or whenever it works out. Um, and then like, I think the other thing like I try and think about when I'm working with teachers around play is sort of simple questions of how can you take a math lesson in your curriculum and make it more playful? And for me, that means asking like, how can I create some choice in this lesson? So it could be choice of who to work with, choice of where to work, choice of final product, choice of material. That's going to make something more playful. Um, how can I increase social engagement? How can I make the physical materials of the lesson more engaging for kids? Um, so I don't think it has to be this bright line between play and not play, but we can use these really particular criteria to shift um, our teaching toward being more playful. Mm -hmm. So, and I appreciated in that, Amy, that you you were talking about it sort of more broadly, right? Not just mathematics, right? Uh, that this this role, I mean, I, I know that's kind of wh where you're focused, but you were talking about play in lots of different ways, right? Those soft starts are an interesting way to think about that. And you could connect it to mathematics, but but our, 
um, our audience isn't just math teachers, right? Not just- yeah, no, I'm just, I was um, watching kids playing with Legos, which yes, as a researcher, I often think about from a math perspective, but like when I was an elementary school teacher, I taught everything, like that's what we do. Um, and as the kids are building with Legos, like they're telling these stories, this is a castle, it's on an island, they're going to invade it. And like all of that is like opening up this space that could later be capitalized on in writing, right? Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, play is important for mathematics, but it's important across the content areas. And and so how do you feel that um, you talked about, we've, I mean, we've kind of been focusing on early elementary and you said upper elementary. What about other grade levels, middle school, high school, college? Is, is play appropriate in those settings as well? Um, I mean, I try to stay in my lane out of um, a real <laughs> wish that others would stay in their lanes. Um, so like, I, I don't, I don't think I want to make a lot of claims about what middle school or high school would look like, except to say that um, like psychologists who research play would say play is not something that's isolated in childhood. It's located across um, the lifespan. Um, There are people, you know, talking about the importance of adult play and what we lose when we don't play as adults. So um, it would make sense to me that play would be incorporated in some ways middle school, high school, college. And certainly um, I do play activity. I just, yesterday I had my college students um, building with blocks. Um, but but I'm not the right person to talk to about what that would look like. And doing this work on play, but also on joy, um, I am like struck by how often, like I hear people like laughing and like see their bodies leaning together across tables and um, you get this feel immediately um, that people are like engaged in the work. And I think like this is like a sense I take when I walk into classrooms, right? Like the first thing I do is take an emotional temperature of the room. Mm. And even before I have a sense of the pedagogy, I have a pretty good idea of how kids are doing in that space. So um, so you were involved in the Michigan Early Math Essentials, full disclosure, so was I, you and I <laughs> went together. Um, and the very first uh, essential is design learning environments to encourage mathematical play and tinkering. So what concrete strategies are being suggested f- for teachers to be able to, to um, apply that essential in their classrooms? Yeah, um, so I think, First, I guess I would say um, the con- the concrete things are relatively broad because like we want people thinking about their own context and what makes sense to them. Um, but a lot of it is about having materials available to kids that they can access and play with and that they feel are playful. Um, it's about um, creating classrooms where kids have control over their bodies. Um, so they're able to move in ways that are comfortable for them and sit in spaces that are comfortable for them. Um, it's about um, posing problems um, that require kids to be playful and creative in finding solutions and creating space for kids to engage with each other. Um, we certainly can have solo play, but lots of kids like to play with others. So we want spaces where um, they can do that. Mm-hmm. And I know there'll be resources available for um, teachers who are looking to work on these essentials. Um, Yes. Um, So we have filmed um, in four schools across Michigan. Um, 
And those videos are coming online and being available. There are some great ones showing play um, all the way from pre-K to third grade. Um, and then there will be um, what we're right now calling online modules for each essential, which will go into a little more depth. Um, so they certainly will have the videos, but they'll also have, um, we've been interviewing math education experts from all over the country and videotaping them. So they'll have those, they'll have um, activities um, that people can do like to engage with the ideas. Um, and I think those will largely be available like through ISDs um, will be coming into schools with them. So. So the, those are those are things that are coming. We're we're yes. just kind of getting started with that. Correct. So so are there other resources that people ought to look into um, if they're interested in this idea of of play in education? Um. Yeah. As well, first of all, I'd say there's a lot. Like you said, I wrote the book on play, but there's really dozens of books on play out there. So I think if you went in um, online and just look for things, you would find something that was appealing to you. Um, also, I would say um, there are a lot of districts in Michigan right now using the Bridges curriculum, and I would say it's unusually good at um, promoting play in mathematics um, in ways that really, I think, make sense for teachers, make sense for kids, are mathematically sound. Um, so if you're in a position where you have some say about what your curriculum is, I would recommend checking that one out. Um, and then I might also suggest um, just doing some exploration in your room and in your school. Like often over time, we build up all of these materials and they kind of get pushed to the side as we do different PD or think about other things. Um, but there are probably lots of opportunities for play, like somewhere that you already have and just um, finding this. I mean, I, I really am drawn to this idea of soft starts because it feels like such a like low entry point, like to just say, okay, I'm just going to take 15 minutes. I'm going to put out five materials and let kids choose and do this and um, maybe just sort of see where that takes you. That's great. Thanks, Amy. Thank you so much for um, all you've, uh, you've shared with us. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, it's already got me thinking and I'm sure it'll do the same for, for our audience and we appreciate you and um, look forward to seeing more coming from you, especially around those uh, uh, essentials. So thank you. There will be more. <laughs> thank you. So, so that was great. We learned a lot. Yes. Yeah. Even though we haven't actually heard it at this point. Well, <laughs> hello, they don't know this. <laughs> All right. So, um, so yeah, so one of the things, though, that I think we need to be um, real transparent with is as, as math professors, math education mm -hmm. professors, that this was math heavy. Right. We we're coming from our perspective, making connections to our practice. Right. And the people that we know. But Ooh, right. yeah, but we are. We would love to hear how um, other teachers, teachers from other disciplines, teachers at all levels, pre-K uh, to university, um, uh, connect with this idea of play in the classroom. How have they seen it be successful? What are their concerns about it? Yeah, right. Yeah, and so they can do that through social media. Reach us at at like lasso uh, or using the hashtag teaching like ted lasso we also have a facebook book group if you want to be a part of that just everybody's contact. welcome yeah it does remind me um, one of the most powerful examples of purposeful play that i think about was had a chance to see ellen Keene um, at michigan reading association 
and she was in a ballroom full of teachers. What and she, bravest woman I ever saw because <laughs> she had she had um, a group of I think they were third graders. She'd never met them, but she wanted to model a lesson in in front of all of these teachers. Wow. Um, and some and, brave third graders. Yeah, and some brave <laughs> third graders. Um, so, so she was teaching this lesson, and at one point, uh, one of the one of the third graders says she asked a question, and the third grader said, "I don't know," and the her response was, "Pretend like you did know. What would you say?" And that just opened the floodgates. You know, that third grader was able now to share that thinking, just that idea of pretend. I, I think about that as pur purposeful play. And I know you've actually used it in, in your classroom. Oh, I've used it with every age learner, right? Yeah. So, and it's not magic, right? So it's, it doesn't always have the kind of dividends, right. right? But it's astounding to me how often that it gives permission to be wrong, permission to try, permission to give it a go. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, to pretend, yeah. it's okay. Just like I did get to wear my uh, some of my gear today. Yeah, I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretending to be a Richmond supporter. All right. I know they're not a real team, John, <laughs> okay? But I got this from my, my kids and my grandkids um, uh, this this past Christmas. Yeah. It gives me a chance to pretend, so oh. hey. Good. We'll uh, see you in October when, um, well, watch social media for what the theme for October is going to be. Yeah. yeah, and if you have suggestions, again, your connections to teaching, your thoughts about the show, um, have you thought about uh, how to teach like Ted Lasso. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Yeah. For more information from this episode, please check out our show notes. Yeah. Where it just, and some of it feels like just clever screenwriting, like kind of just making you stop and think about uh, expressions. The other one that springs to mind is, you know, do you believe in ghosts? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know the exact one. Uh, uh, yes, but more importantly, yeah, yes, but, but more importantly, okay, so, so, so yes, but more importantly, they need to believe in themselves. Yeah. So. Oh.